0: Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free, private Facebook community. Mind Body Breakthroughs. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice, as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. Dr. Stephen Hussey is a chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner. He attained both his doctorate of chiropractic and master's in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon. He is the author of two books on health, The Health Evolution, Why Understanding Evolution is the Key to Vibrant Health, and The Heart, Our Most Medically Misunderstood Organ. Dr. Hussey guides clients, or health participants, as he likes to call them, from around the world back to health by using the latest research and health-attaining strategies. In his downtime, he likes to be outdoors, playing sports, reading, writing, and spending time with his wife and their pets. All right, Dr. Stephen Hussey, welcome back to the program. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you guys? awesome well, we're so happy to have you back. everyone has just been really enjoying your heart health series with us. uh we're so happy to be able to share this truly interesting and uh very groundbreaking information with people and I know you have some uh very cool stuff to talk about today, so let's just jump right into it. What are we talking about today, sir?
1: Today, I thought we'd talk a little bit about um Broken heart syndrome. So, uh, broken heart syndrome is this this condition uh, that, like the I guess the technical term for it is Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. But basically, what it means is that someone who goes through a very uh, physical or emotional uh, stress um, end up ends up having like this this almost like heart failure, this cardiomyopathy because of it. Uh, they they get these heart symptoms um, because of it, almost like congestive heart failure, and. I I did some research on this, and if people have listened to the other podcasts that uh, we've done here, you you know they know that my my theory of of the majority of heart attacks is caused by this um, imbalance in our stress response. And so, when we look at broken heart syndrome, it kind of makes sense that uh, you know this emotional stress can have um, an impact on our heart. And so. I found this because I've done a lot of history like looking into the history of of heart disease. and I wrote a blog about this, and I found that th- like one of the first, maybe not the first, but um, one of the first, like I guess documented cases of a heart attack um, or heart disease in general was actually um, actually involved like a broken heart. So uh, this was like an a uh, story from like ancient Arabia back in the seventh century. And there was this guy. I'm not even trying to say his name. uh, His last name was K, so we'll call him K, like Q A I S. I guess you'd say it's K. But he was. It's a story um, that's known to be a true story um, in the Arabic culture. And uh, this guy, he was a he was a poet, and he had fallen in love with this girl, and her name was uh, Lila. um, And but the Lila's father was not okay with this, and he for he forbade the marriage. And he made Leela marry some other man and they moved away to a different part of the, the country or whatever. And so Kay here was just heartbroken, like literally heartbroken. And he, um, he did something that I think was kind of dumb and we'll talk about why I think it was dumb, but he, uh, he basically like exiled himself to the desert. And he, you know, uh, was living out there by himself in isolation and he was, he was writing these poems and there was a, um, you know, this these very sad, sappy poems. And one of the poems, I don't have it here in front of me, but it basically um, it was said that he wrote this poem just before his death. And he said that his, you know, his heart uh, hurt and it felt like, you know, an eagle uh, or some type kind of bird of prey was was um, like had their talon around his heart and they were squeezing it. Um, which, you know, people who describe heart attacks, that's what they, they say, like their heart, there's pressure in their heart. So people say like, it's an elephant standing on their chest, that kind of thing. Um, and then he died. And then, uh, fast forward to today, we have this condition called Takatsubo cardiomyopathy. And, uh, it, it, it looks, it sounds very similar. Now, um, there's a, a modern day cardiologist who, um, Who's from an Arabic country, and he's he's the one who translated that poem that um, Kay wrote. And he says that he thinks that's you know the first documented case of heart disease. Um, and he says uh, heart disease, or um, it doesn't say heart attack. And if you if you look at what Western medicine thinks about these things, they think that Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, or broken heart syndrome, and heart attacks are different things. Um, and it's, you know, likely because the, the, the notion of what causes heart attacks is a clot or a blockage that, that restricts blood flow. Um, but as we've talked about in other podcasts, it definitely has this other component to it, and it can be caused by this imbalance in our autonomic uh, nervous system. And so um, I just find it very interesting that this, this story played out, and we have documentation of what happened and the symptoms that this guy um, described. Uh, and dying of a heart attack uh, from pretty much emotional emotional stress um, and and I would argue isolation as well. Uh, but just a very interesting story and it kind of and it reinforces this this heart, broken heart syndrome and that you can die from a broken heart if we're not careful. So what are some symptoms that
2: somebody may experience uh, when they're having this? I, I know, Personally, when my dad passed away in my arms, I felt an extreme pressure in my chest and had an arrhythmia for months after that incident. Um, so, what are some symptoms that people may experience after a traumatic event that they may not associate um, with that there is trouble with their heart?
1: Because yeah, I I think one is uh, general fatigue. Um, you know, just feeling tired, and actually a lot of people. You know before heart attack you know if they are under a doctors care uh, they do they do um, describe like very feeling very tired um, which to me is is the heart and the body in general relying on carbohydrate for fuel rather than fat um, so they get this fatigue and you know we've talked about how the heart is like the last organ to, to ever you know burn carbohydrates it's kind of a last resort kind of thing so if it is burning carbohydrates we know the body itself is is burning carbohydrates predominantly for fuel and so um, yeah general fatigue Um, but also yeah we do get those um, uh, like heart not murmurs but like heart fluttering or skipping a beat or arrhythmias and things like that Uh, and that is is also because the heart is predominantly or or relying on more carbohydrates for fuel than it wants to because um, because when we have the stress on the heart it's, it's um, relying on that, and so that builds up the lactic acid, and that interferes with the mineral um, absorption, mainly calcium, in the heart cells. And when, and you know, research has shown that when when calcium is not in in pro- appropriate quantities, in our heart cells, that we get arrhythmias, uh, we get all kinds of uh, dysfunction as far as the um, you know communication of the heart signal for the beat, all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so those those are a few things. Um, I think angina would be another one. So chest pain, um, and and people think that you know I feel heartbroken, um, you know, uh, and my my heart hurts, and you know it literally can hurt. It can actually have chest pain, and again that's from uh, the heart burning carbohydrates and build up a lactic acid, just like when you go for a run, your muscle hurts because you're burning glucose, which builds up lactic acid and hydrogen ions. Um, and so those kind of things can cause um, pain in the chest.
0: What is the role of like stress hormones in all of this?
1: Um, well, if we look at uh, like a stress hormone like adrenaline, um, that's the one that's that you're probably releasing way too much of when you're having this um, this emotional response to something. And so the adrenaline, um, so, because like because we can have a stress hormone like cortisol, um, which kind of tells your body that we're in this um, acute stress state, uh, and that it needs to be ready to fight or or flee from something. Uh, but then when we are, like because you know I can I can be stressed about something and have kind of like this chronic chronic state of stress. And my cortisol can be elevated. But I'm not feeling that adrenaline response, you know, like, the adrenaline response, like, you know, someone at work jumps out from behind the water cooler and scares the crap out of you, like, and you have this adrenaline response, like that, that can be that, that immediate, very quick fight or flight um, response. And so, when, you know, since we humans can, can think our way into a stress response, you know, this guy in the Arabian desert probably thought that, you know, he, he was so emotionally stressed, that he thought his life was threatened. You know, he was, he was so attached to this girl, and you know, I think we've all we've all kind of felt this being heartbroken before. Like we feel like that you know the world is over, we're gonna die because we're without this person. And um, I think that he was almost you know he was thinking he's way into an adrenaline response, um, you know, and so um, this this epinephrine response and um, and that you know that that or this norepinephrine response and that can. Um, That's throwing him into more than just a chronically elevated cortisol state, but a chronically elevated epinephrine or the adrenaline state, which is not a good idea um, as far as you know keeping balance in our in our autonomic nervous system or just in our body like homeostasis in general you know if your hormones are chronically telling your body to be in a stressed state you're not thinking about you're not thinking about sleeping you're not thinking about reproducing you're not thinking about Digesting, so what are some symptoms we see of of high-stress states or high-stress people as we see insomnia, we see digestive issues, we see sexual dysfunction, all these different things. Um, So, you know, chronically imbalanced hormones like that are a huge problem, and and we humans can literally think our way into that situation. Absolutely.
2: It's amazing what our thoughts can do um, and how they impact the chemistry of our body, and the longer that that goes on, our chemistry changes and our homeostasis becomes disrupted, and we're in constant survival mode, like it's a fire drill going on at all times. What are some techniques that are in the, that you've come across in the literature where people can get out of that stress response loop? Um, for example, do people use meditation um, or just simple changes in diet, what what are some strategies to
1: kind of get out of that loop that you've seen in the literature and you've seen in case reports? Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you asked this question because I came across a study at, it was last week or this week, I can't remember, um, that just blew my mind. So, um, you know, I had, I had this three-pronged approach to like preventing heart attacks and that's, you know, being fat adapted and reducing oxidative stress and uh, rebalancing the autonomic nervous system. And, um, you know, for the first the first two, being fat adapted and and reducing oxidative stress, I was pretty confident that when I first ever started researching this, that I'd be able to find studies that show that a ketogenic diet would a help you get fat adapted and B reduce oxidative stress, because when you're burning fat, you're going to make less free radicals, and you're not going to begin in this oxidative state where if you're burning carbohydrates, you make more free radicals, and you're going to get oxidative stress. But I never expected to find a study, an actual study that showed that a ketogenic diet or your your body burning fatty acids and ketones um, actually um, stimulates the sympathetic nervous system less. So any type of metabolism, apparently, according to this study, will um, will stimulate the sympathetic nervous system and get you out of balance as far as that autonomic nervous system. Um, But burning fatty acids will do it way less than burning carbohydrates. So it's almost like burning carbohydrates... Is is um, triggering or contributing to this this um, autonomic nervous system imbalance? So there's one thing: a ketogenic diet. You know, um, but then I'll I'll tell you some of my favorites. And there's so many. Uh, I think I have like over thirty different things that are known to to stimulate parasympathetic and create autonomic nervous system balance. Um, but some of my favorites: one is is breathing exercises. So. The whole idea of heart rate variability is that you're measuring your autonomic nervous system balance by um, through through breathing. So basically, when you take a deep breath in, you're, um, you're stimulating your sympathetic nervous system and when you breathe out, you're stimulating parasympathetic. And so, when you measure the difference between the fastest your heart rate goes and the slowest it goes uh, between deep breaths or just breathing in general, that's your heart rate variability. Um, but you can do things. So since you're, since you're, uh, when you breathe in, you get sympathetic, uh, stimulation, you can breathe in really quick, like a deep breath in really quick and then let it out very slowly, as slow as you can, you know, trying to do it over like a minute, which is really hard to do, but that, that way you're, you're stimulating parasympathetic much longer than you are sympathetic. And that's a really good exercise. And I'm actually, you can, it's so cool because you can actually, um, like take your pulse. And see it working like as your your pulse slows as you're letting your breath out. Um, and I've actually seen improvements in my heart rate variability um, doing this, you know, every day for like a month or so you, and you measure it over time and you see it. So that's one of mine. Um, I also really like um, uh, uh, being in nature. So like some days, especially like weeks, I feel like more stressed, I'll go set my hammock up in the backyard with when the woods in my backyard and just go and, and listen to like the sounds of nature. I think there's a reason that, you know, those sounds of nature tapes that my dad used to use were like, you know, best sellers. You know, people always bought those sounds of nature tapes. And then one other one, which brings me back to the story of, of Kay and what he did, um, that I think was a bad move on his part, is like he was he was in despair, you know, he was in this um this severe emotional um state and and he isolated himself. And I think that was a very bad idea. and I think that's ultimately what did him in is that he um he he removed himself from social contact with others. And so I think that a, a huge part of balance in our um in our autonomic nervous system is to find your tribe, reach out to them, interact with them, um, you know, talk with them, rely on them in times of of uh, emotional distress. and And Kay did not do that. He isolated himself out in the desert, and I think it it led to his, Demise. So, um, yeah, those are those are some things. Those are just, I think, four is what I said um, of, of the many that there are you could do.
2: Could you expand a little bit on um, grounding science, if you could? Because there's, I've actually read the book Earthing and mm-hmm. the documentary that went along with that, and there was vast improvement in patients with heart disease when they would go grounding, walking on wet grass or wet sand on a beach, that mm-hmm. regulated their heartbeat and a lot of people are curious about that i'm just wondering what your opinion is of grounding science and heart
1: disease yeah so not only has that been shown to balance your autonomic nervous system uh and get you into more of that non-stress state uh but the other aspect of this which which i think is even a bigger aspect of this is is um in relation to building that fourth phase water in your body um so direct contact with the earth will do that and so uh, Dr. Pollock, who's done a lot of work on, on this fourth phase water, has shown that, you know, standing on the earth, like barefoot on the earth, your feet are like 200 times more electronegative than your nose. Um, and so you're you are soaking up this energy from the earth. And that energy is what allows your body, like the water fluid in your body, whether it's in your cells or in your blood or wherever it is, to um, have the energy necessary to build that fourth phase water, and that fourth phase water is what's driving the blood flow. Um, and so, if someone's got, I don't know I don't know what type of heart disease the, the book was talking about, but if they've got you know, like, um, congestive heart failure um, or cardiomyopathy, it's, like it, it's usually because the heart is being forced to be more of a pressure repulsion pump, which is not designed to be because it's lacking this blood flow, uh, this, this innate blood flow that the body kind of creates through fourth phase water. And so if, um, if we're grounding, that's going to bring the energy into the body that's needed to build that up so that we get that blood flow. And I actually, um, uh, a week and a half ago, I was emailing with Dr. Pollock, and he said that um, I was asking him about, you know, fourth phase water in the cardiovascular system. And he said that one of his students just recently has proven that this, this um, blood flow in the cardiovascular system is... Um, like that mechanism is happening in the cardiovascular system and they're working on a manuscript. So, um, it's not just this, this idea that, um, because the endothelia is a hydrophilic surface that it will happen. It, it actually does. And they've proved it now.
0: Wow. That's really cool. One of the things you, you talked about with the broken heart syndrome is it's, it's almost like a type of heart failure. And I was reading some studies recently that talked about the effectiveness of ketogenic diets and specifically ketones as a very efficient preferred fuel for the heart that actually allows the heart to heal, even from early stages of of heart failure. So I wondered if you might talk about that and maybe the, uh, the use of elevating ketone levels through MCT oil, possibly exogenous ketones. What would you say? is, is there effectiveness there?
1: Yeah. Uh, so first off, as far as the heart's ability to, to heal, um, I've, I've seen things that, and I believe I've talked about this with you guys before on our podcast. I've seen studies that show that inhibiting, um, glucose, um, will actually, um, cause less healing of the heart after a heart attack. Um, and that makes sense to me because this person is not fat adapters. You're taking away basically the fuel source that, they only know how to use. And so that's a problem. You can't really do that, um, until they're fat adapted. Um, but as far as, uh, uh y- using ketones to help the heart heal, like I, I've looked at these studies of these, of these men that, um, they belong to this, what they call the hundred marathon club. And it was all these men that had run a hundred marathons in their life. You had to do that to be part of this club. And they looked at their hearts and, <laughs> They had all of them had severe scarring of their hearts, um, and the ones who trained the hardest and the longest had the worst of, of all of them. And so, to me, you know, if if we, I mean, we can develop scar tissue in our muscles. You know, athletes have scar tissue in the muscles. They use their muscles a lot, and their muscles burn carbohydrates and they build up lactic acid, which damages muscle um, over time, when we get knots in our muscles. I deal with this a lot as a chiropractor. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a huge source of pain, so it's not too far-fetched to, to realize that if we're using our heart muscle a lot, like through running 100 marathons through your life, that you're going to build up scar tissue in that as well. And and to me, that's from uh, these, these men were relying on glucose in their heart probably too much, um, because that was resulting in this buildup of lactic acid, which was damaging heart tissue, and so they got a lot of scarring on their heart tissue. And so when we look at studies that, that tell us that providing the heart with ketones, even in the presence of glucose, that, you know, you give the heart ketones, it will decrease glucose um, usage by 30 to 60 percent. Um, tells us that, yes, the heart does prefer ketones and that that, in, in my opinion, is probably going to be protective against um, uh, any damage to the heart because we're not going to burn glucose and we're not going to make lactic acid and hydrogen ions as much. From that, so we're not going to get that damage because, um, you know, muscle cells turn over quite a lot. And even they do that, but the heart cells don't. Um, and there's, I think, there's a reason for that, and there's a reason why they're trying to, the body's trying to protect them um, from that by burning predominantly fat instead of carbohydrates. And so, as far as using ketones to to heal the heart, um, it, it may be difficult um, to do that uh, once the damage is done. I'm not saying that it can't happen. Um, but it may be difficult to do that. Your best bet is to prevent it, the damage from happening in the first place by giving your giving your heart ketones, making sure there's a ready supply of ketones for your body to burn or for your heart to burn. And then as far as exogenous ketones, I got to say that I'm not a huge fan. Um, I think that they're very helpful at first when someone's trying to get in ketosis. We can get them in there quicker. Um, but I have read some things that, that show that um, these exogenous ketones actually... If you use them too much, will actually deplete certain Krebs cycle intermediates because you know the Krebs cycle goes through all—it changes the acetyl CoA to all these different things to to make more electrons so they can be passed down the electron transport chain, and it can actually um, deplete some of them because we're we're bypassing certain processes by by giving it straight ketones, um, and I, I think oxaloacetate is the one that it depletes, um, so it can kind of dysregulate the um crimp cycle if we use them too much. But like I said, you know, if we're trying to help someone um learn how to be in ketosis and it it could be something we could use um initially, but I would eventually want them to not rely on those to get in ketosis. I would want them to, you know, do it uh dietarily. You know, I'd want them to, to master ketosis through diet um rather than and to rely on those long term. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Um so for those of us that have listened to this episode, what would you say are the three main take-home
1: points uh, regarding broken heart syndrome? Um, I think that we're all going to go through uh, times of emotional stress. And so safeguarding yourself from, from the effects on the heart are going to be huge. And so those three things are supplying your heart with ketones, I think, um, making sure that you do not isolate yourself, you know, reach out to others. Um, You may be totally, you may have felt like you were totally dependent on that person that broke your heart. Um, But there are other people in your life, I promise you that will help you. So reach out to them. And uh, the third one, mm, I'd say reconnect with something that you love. I think that oftentimes when, when we are really invested in a person and that person becomes part of our life, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But when we lose that, we, we, I think sometimes we've forgotten about some of the things that we used to do before that person was in your life that that made us happy, and I think reconnecting with with those types of things is really really important because those are types those are things that are gonna um, stimulate our parasympathetic nervous system because uh, we enjoy those things. So,
0: awesome. Well, Doc, that's very good advice, and uh, we look forward to our next conversation. For those that are just joining us and and kind of new to you, where can these guys find you?
1: Uh, my website is resourceyourhealth.com, and that's where my blog and uh, where I run my health coaching. People can contact me, my health coaching through there. Uh, my book is on there as well. And then um, I'm on social media. Uh, um, all my all my tags are, are um, at Dr. Stephen Hussey, Dr. Stephen Hussey.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it, and our
0: listeners do as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Doc. Proud affiliate of Redmond Real Salt, the best tasting and most mineral rich salt on the market without the microplastics and other issues of conventional salts. See the show notes for 15% off your order.
2: Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today, Mind Body Breakthrough. Chris and I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend and to join us in our free Mind Body Breakthrough Facebook community where you can start peeling away the layers of everything that's not you so you can be you.